The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Champions League. Tuesday, Tory front benchers weren't the only ones having a semi watching wide open legs as Man City and Real Madrid battled each other and football logic. Benzema and Vinicius leaving City regretting their finishes. Wednesday night then, Liverpool Dom, the visiting sub, more Tory backbencher that, and are looking good for a jaunt to Paris, so we'll get our thoughts on that. Plus, the weekend's Premier League battles and some inter-totally third force playoff madness. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener from the morning of the 28th of April. Assembled here from bits of old data, a keyboard and some inkwells, we have uh, Duncan Alexander, Charlie Eccleshare and Colin Miller. Hello. Hello. Nice. Got uh, Julian Laurence joining us later as well for a bit of inter-totally third, fourth playoff. Duncan. Well, yes. Let's... I'm ready. All right, then. Charlie, of course, your final is coming up. You're facing Daniel Story. Intriguingly, both of you have exactly the same record in the competition thus far, with 14 correct answers out of a possible 18. That's interesting. Uh, as is the fact that this season you're in for a double, or on for a double, because you're also in the Football Clichés quiz final against James Moore. If you haven't heard that, listener, I urge you to, because the final's already been held, hasn't it, Charlie? It has, yeah. 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 I mean, I was battling to hold on to my crown from yep. from last year, and uh, right. Well, I guess find out what happens. I mean, yeah. producer Charlie did make the very good point. I mean, I I had a bit of a fixture pile up because on the same day I had that quiz final and then the semi against uh, Julian, and uh, yeah, it was a bit like City in their semi final against Liverpool. Um, mm. You know, I did the mental equivalent of kind of playing the kids for the for the cliches one. So, but you know, no excuses. <laughs> well, uh, interesting. Uh, meanwhile, uh, back in the football, we're at the uh, Champions League semi-final stage. Champions League semi-final football is the best football, Colin? I I think it's probably the best football for, for the neutrals' point of view. I, I actually really enjoy, I keep saying this, the Europa League and Conference League at this stage as well. Because you get, I, I actually think those ties are more interesting because... I think that's a better gauge of how of how strong the leagues are from those nations. Whereas you get teams like City and Liverpool who who run away with the Premier League, and then you see in the Champions League a lot of the time they just do the exact same thing to the teams they're facing in that. Um, but yeah, no, they, they, this time of the season is fantastic, and just the fact that all of these games have sort of they define the the entire narrative of the campaign, which which is particularly pleasing as well. Can I just make a point about the Conference League in the sense that I wasn't alone, I'm sure, at sort of raising my eyebrow and saying, hang, what's this? But I honestly think it's made the Europa League better. Like, I now believe that there's a rule of three with European competitions and and we lost that with the Cup Winners' Cup going and now we've got these two competitions being played at the same time and you could argue that the, the teams in the semi-finals of the Conference League are probably bigger clubs than, than those in the Europa League but I think they complement each other quite well and it seems to have brought some balance to the force um, like Anakin Skywalker didn't Nice. Uh, Charlie what's this story that they're now going to scrap the two-legged semi-final system anyway for the Champions League? Yeah which would be such I mean well it's only been suggested hasn't it but that would be such a shame I mean this Although when they did that because of pandemic when they got everyone together mm. for the, the final four in Lisbon oh no sorry final eight in Lisbon that was really exciting. I remember thinking, oh, this is brilliant. Let's do that every season. 
Yeah, I mean, that was good. That, that was good as a an alternative. But I feel like Champions League semi-finals have been so good and so exciting mm. uh, over the last few years. Michael Cox wrote a piece on this and he went through it. It was amazing. Like every year, apart from the last couple, obviously one of them was 2020 with that sort of COVID affected and last year behind closed doors. Before then, I mean, think of 2019 and you know Liverpool, Barcelona and then Ajax, Spurs the following night. And that Real Madrid City game, I mean, was just absolutely crazy. I mean, one of the most exciting... I mean, it was one of those games where you watch and you're like, I can't... How how long would the game have passed without incident? It felt like the maximum was about five minutes or something. Mm. Um, yeah, 90 minutes of highlights. I wonder as well, would that have happened? Had it have been just one leg? Would that game have been so open and mm. so attacking? Because teams would have been a bit more cautious. You can't think, well, we've always got next week to, to rectify the situation if, if things maybe go slightly wrong in the first leg. So that's something worth, worth bearing in mind. Should you mm. cut it down a little bit too? And would away goals made any difference, do you think, Colin? I, I don't know. Um, some, right. Sometimes you think that. I mean, you look, you look at Atletico Madrid in against City, you look at Villarreal against Liverpool, two teams who had very little interest in, in really maintaining any sort of attacks. But then, you, by contrast, you think it's you know, Real Madrid against City. So it's very much dependent. All right. Well, let's start with Tuesday's edition of Drunk Football. Uh, Man City 4, Real Madrid 3. The joint highest scoring Champions League semi-final ever along with Ajax 5, Bayern Munich 2 from April 1995, and the always popular Liverpool 5, Roma 2, April 2018 edition. Hmm. Who actually won, though, on Tuesday? That is a really hard question, um, because you'd think if it carries, if there's a similar pattern to the game in the second leg, then surely City... To, like over the course of one game, you can, you know, miss a bunch of chances and the scoreline not really reflect the pattern. But you'd think if they play as well as they did in the second, they can't. They're not going to. Lo- they wouldn't lose by two. I mean, if you think back to what Chelsea were two goals behind and went there and, and quickly turned it round. Obviously, didn't work out in the end. But City are in a much better position than that. But but when you've been in that position, when you've dominated that much and had that much xG, etc. To, to win by one goal is, it, I mean, it kind of, it's strange, isn't it? Because if you go back to the olden days, uh, a Premier League team winning 4-3 at home to Real Madrid in the semi-final of the Champions League would have been, you know, opened up bus parade. And <laughs> and it, it's changed the, you know, you remember back to when Manchester United got through to the final in 1999, like obviously heroic performance of where at Juventus, but it felt like backs against the wall. It was almost, in a sense, what Real Madrid felt like this week. It's like they, they, didn't play that well, but they could sort of hung in there. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean, I think psychologically, and that's the question, isn't it? That how, how I think if there's one team that possibly could be psychologically affected by that first leg, it might be Man City under Pep Guardiola. But but we'll see. But even Duncan, six years ago, you look at that City Real Madrid semi final, and remember the first leg was that dismal nil nil, uh, where it looked like they just. City never looked like they were even going to get close to scoring. And the, the contrast from that is is unbelievable. But yes, you're right. I mean, clearly Guardiola has a lot of history in overthinking that, that word that he sort of uh, objected to. Um, you just wonder, I mean, I, I always think of how I would be affected. And obviously, if this were me, I'd be really raging that I hadn't won more than the scoreline. But these guys seem to be incredible at 
just compartmentalizing and putting these things out of their head and and going again i mean look at benzema taking that penalty having missed mm. a few recently it's just mm. I, I cannot even begin to relate to how anyone has that mentality like how do you even take that penalty let alone do that well we'll talk more about next week in, in a second or two but it was such an extraordinary match that it bears going back into almost forensically from the start then two minutes in Brackets, Watford had held out longer. <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne makes it 1-0. And then Gabriel Jesus makes it 2-0. City playing with a forward. And it looks like this is going to be a procession, really. But then, as predicted by the extraordinary James Horncastle, Karim mm. Benzema with an extraordinary goal. Yeah, 0.035 on XG. Um, a full Horncastle, as it's known. Well, like a 4% <laughs> chance of scoring. Um, a 4% chance of him scoring it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, given the, the scenario, he was in, it was behind him. I mean, as predicted by the Yorkshire Sage, uh, it was a perfect finish. And I think, you know, Benz, it's funny, isn't it? Because if Ronaldo and Messi didn't exist, we would be talking about one of the great all time races to be Champions League top scorer between Lewandowski and, and Benzema. You know, they're almost I thought you said one neck. of the great all time racists to be That's Champions what I, yeah. top scorer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know about the video and the extortion, but I didn't. Um, races. races. One of the all time great races. So, yeah, a- absolutely. Between him, what, and uh, him and Lewandowski? Uh, him and Lewandowski, yeah. And um, it was kind of inevitable that, he, that he'd pull them back into it, I guess. But um, it, it very much was against the run of play. Right. Uh, his XG, you know, him versus XG, he's got eight goals. In the last four games against PSG, Chelsea and Man City, eight goals from 2.95 of XG. I'm no expert. Is that is that good, is it? It is very good. Benz was on course to have the, the highest overperformance in XG terms in Champions League recorded history. Um, as it stands, Messi was five and a half over his XG in 2018-19. Obviously, the season Barcelona lost to Liverpool in the semis. Um, and Serge Nabry in 2019-20 was... was about 5.3 over. So, I mean, if you think back to both those seasons, Messi was scoring a lot of direct free kicks. Nabry had a, you know, couple of great scored games. four at Spurs, didn't he, that season? Yeah, I mean, and Benzema's done similar in, in the sense of scoring a lot of goals in England. He scored as many goals in England this season as, as Chris Wood, um, which is right, pretty impressive right. for a Real Madrid uh, player. When players massively outperform their XG, often it's regarded as a sign that they will soon regress to the, the mean. But in this case, does it actually mean that he's... XG recognises what an ordinary professional footballer would do in that situation, but he is so extraordinary that the numbers are almost r- irrelevant. Yeah, XG is the, the av- industry average, essentially. So. <laughs> I mean, someone like Son Heung-min, you look at him and in, I think in 16, 17, he outscored his XG by a ridiculous amount. And then he did the same thing last season. And then again, this season, he's way above it. So there are some players who... They will if they if they remain being an absolutely elite finisher, mm. then you won't. They they might have a season where they they get closer to what's expected, but it's not unrealistic to think they might just have a few seasons where they do massively outscore it. All right, Benzema wasn't finished, of course, with that goal. Uh, but in the second half, uh, Foden re-established a two-goal lead for Man City uh, and followed that with a perfect knee slide. All set up, of course, by Fernandinho. Brilliant move by. Pep to introduce the wily, wily veteran in the hang on, what's this? Two minutes later, the creaking old stager left in bits by Vinicius. As Leon Twomey says, if Fernandinho can't be relied on to foul Vinicius, he's outlived his usefulness to Guardiola. How exactly did he get the 
ball past Fernandinho in that fashion? Yeah, the pass comes in from Mendy. He sort of steps towards the ball, Vinicius Jr., but dummies it. So Fernandinho thinks he's going to take a touch and is completely wrong-footed and it flies through his legs. I mean, it is perfectly executed, actually. You, you can see why he was, Fernandinho wasn't set up to make the foul that he would have been desperate to make. Right, right. Yeah, okay. he almost does try, actually, and foul him, just the muscle memory, but he, <laughs> Vinicius is too elusive. He's gone by then. A little bit. It's like rage, the end of Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah. No Cancelo, no Kyle Walker and John Stones leaving early on in the game, which explains, well, part of that exceptionally high score line. Uh, two more goals were to come. Bernardo Silva in the 74th minute, when possibly Real Madrid had stopped expecting a whistle, not sure. I thought that was overplayed a bit. I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. they stopped. I think, I think Courtois was just beaten by the how hard the shot is and how quickly he takes it. So. Right. And that two-goal lead only lasts for eight minutes before there's a handball and up steps Karim Benzema, who, as you say, Charlie, had missed... Well, he's lost two penalties. Two penalties in the same Liga match just last weekend. So pretty extraordinary that he would step up and apparently for the first time ever, like even in training, decides that Penenka thing that I've seen mm-hmm. people do looks fun. Maybe I'll try that. I mean, as always with Penenkas, if it goes in, it's ice cold. If it misses or doesn't doesn't work, it's, you know, a disgrace and, you know, um, no good. So, but it did. I mean, it was quite a high one. They're supposed to drop a bit closer to the line, but yeah, it was, it was pretty impressive. Hmm. Well, in it went. And the final score then on Tuesday, 4-3. Real Madrid with three goals against the run of play away from home. And this kind of fits in with this notion that we get of Real Madrid from our limited exposure in matches like these and against Chelsea, of them being a, a team that's not that great but has moments of extraordinary brilliance in them. And that's enough to, to take them forward. Is that a fair assessment of them, Colin, as somebody who watches them a lot? I think I think when it comes to Real Madrid and you look at the individual players that they have and you compare it maybe to Manchester City or even to Liverpool and there probably isn't really any notable difference in, in the level of quality. I think, I think Real Madrid, the, the players that they have are, are, are in many cases the sort of that top bracket in each of those positions and, and no more so is the case with Karim Benzema. And then, and, then, and then the structure of their team is always something that is highlighted as being, well, it's not quite as cohesive as maybe a Pep Guardiola side or a Jurgen Klopp side might be, but... I think it was really interesting against City and just in how they, how they sort of just introduced so much chaos into that fixture in the sense that Pep loves control. He, he, he tries to sort of coach every player to within an inch of their life almost and to make sure that there's no that there's no room for error or as little room for error as possible. And, and Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone obviously combated that by being like, right, you can have all that control. But we're gonna we're gonna sort of let you think that you have it at least, and then we're just gonna sort of sit back and, and, and not let it impact on the scoreline. But Real Madrid were like, no, no, no. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna go out and we're just gonna we're just gonna try to play to play to the strengths that we believe that we have and introduce that chaos into the match. And I thought it was just really interesting how they did, as 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 James Castle obviously predicted on on Tuesday's pod, that they sort of make these individual battles between the players because I think I think Carlo Ancelotti knows that each of those players has the self belief. To win those battles, e- even if maybe they're not quite on top of their game, they've been there and done it, and they've they, they have that they have that sort of um, mentality whereby they can they can show up in these big moments and, and produce that. But in La Liga, obviously, it's different because a lot of the time you're playing 
playing against teams who might be maybe one or two levels below that. And mm. it, it, it is interesting because what has happened to Real Madrid over the years is that they haven't really been able to string two titles together um, over the course of multiple seasons, but they will have maybe a season like this one whereby Barcelona aren't at their normal level. Even Atletico Madrid have dropped off a little bit. So what that has allowed them to do is sort of just accumulate a lot of points and can kind of just run away with the league. And, and they haven't... Carlo Ancelotti all season has almost been been criticised for not rotating his players. Been like, look, you know, we're 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 kind of we're getting way ahead in La Liga now, but this is this is going to catch up with us in the in the Champions League knockout rounds. And that that actually hasn't happened, despite the fact that their players have played a lot of games this season. That are they are an aging squad too. So they 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 are a team that is just that is more adjusted, I think, to these European nights. But in La Liga, they just haven't had a, a proper title challenger this season, and that's kind of allowed them to go on to build this momentum up over the course of the campaign. Mm, they can wrap the title up uh, this weekend in in the Liga, and then next week they'll welcome Man City to the Bernabeu. There was a lot of uh, when they get them back to the Bernabeu talk on on Tuesday night, which certainly sounds ominous. We'll we'll get James Horncastle's prediction. In next Tuesday's Euro show, that's that's must listen podcasting, uh, right there. But but for now, what, what do you think? Chelsea gave Real Madrid. They didn't seem too spooked in the return leg. What do you all think? Kyle Walker back possibly. Cancelo certainly back. You'd think, but also Casemiro for Real Madrid. Yeah, I think I think it'll be really interesting to see how Real Madrid set up for this one. I don't I don't think that they will have the same approach as they did this week, where they had Rodrigo wish in attack with Vinicius and Karim Benzema. I think even if Casemiro doesn't come back, I think Valverde will, will stay in the team. I think I think Ancelotti might bring in an extra midfielder because we saw Tony Cruz uh, get getting pretty badly overrun. It's just not his his style of game. But, and that it was that sort of structural setup that didn't sit in the first leg. I think I think Ancelotti will go a bit more conservative at home, even as they did a little bit against PSG. And it wasn't really until that final half an hour where they, they kind of came to life in an attacking sense. And I think there'd be a similar setup here whereby they just try to keep that one goal difference alive as long as possible and wait for that that one moment as they have done before to sort of bring the stadium alive and, and to sort of get that momentum swing in the tie. It sort of feels like they'll do like whatever's needed like I think it'll be close if it's you know if, if it's a cage again they'll be fine with that but if City go and score two you kind of then back either Modric or Benzema or both to somehow produce something and then bring it back to being cl- they seem like a hard team to pull away from because they they do have these incredible moments players they're like stood behind a door and you can just hear them thumping it's, <laughs> it's quite scary they they it won't um, go yeah, please, please just let us get to the final. No. Um, they have Every time they've lost the first leg of a Champions League semi, they have got knocked out. So historically, oh, interesting. they haven't prospered from this position. But yeah, as, as we were just talking about, they, they're quite scary. They are that mm. villain in a horror film sort of vibes, aren't they? It's just like you, you know that they're not far behind at any point. And there's, there's the, the issue on Ancelotti as well. Um, obviously, being, being one game away from five different... Uh, top league titles but he's also the first coach if if Real Madrid go through to the final to reach five finals so he's he could potentially be setting those two records this season that, that actually surprised me I, I assumed that there had been more coaches to reach that but it shows you the longevity of Ancelotti as well mm. he essentially be doing that over the course of, of two decades if, if not a little bit a little bit more so mm. yeah he's he, he could be breaking a few records this season all right well if Real Madrid were to get through next week They'll probably be facing Liverpool in the final, which would be a very interesting 
rematch. We'll talk about what Liverpool got up to against Villarreal next. Ah, yeah, Manchester holidays. Ah, uh, yes, I'd like to book a holiday, please. Lovely. Anywhere in mind? No, I just need to get away from it all. For two weeks. Do you have anything permanent? The season can't end quickly enough for Manchester United and Ralph Ranyick. And whilst we can't send you on that dream holiday, we can provide the best offers. If one leg of your fourfold bet builder lets you down on a football game, get a free bet. Paddy Power. Pretty much online bet by the bets only. Min odds one to five per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. Seven day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Alexander Arnold. Salah. Given room to turn. Mane coming through! 2-0! 2-0! From the first leg, Liverpool against Villarreal. As Klopp says, Duncan, it's a dangerous score. Boom. I actually, for once, I think this is a slightly dangerous score or a Why? slightly annoying score for Liverpool because if it was 1-0, then it's a very po- you know, finely poised second leg. If Liverpool had won 3 or 4-0, which they reasonably could have done, you know, I think they could have probably started rotating a little bit ahead of you know, a big game against Spurs that, that followed You don't that. think 2-0 is enough to, to, to Not feel really. confident? Not right. really. Um, so I think, given how the game went, I think two, a two-nil defeat for Villarreal was a, was about as good as it could have got for them. Okay, this is this is where the away goals thing does make quite a big difference because previously two-nil at home is such a good result because mm. obviously you then score one, the opponent need four, and obviously they'll still need three to level it, but that somehow feels doable in a way that four is just that's game over if you score. Does early it? In. Does Villarreal scoring three unanswered goals against Liverpool feel doable? Emery says, I can't wait to get that game underway. Mm-hmm. I want to prepare for it and for you to see that we can take the game to them. Colin? Yeah, uh, Emery also said last night he admitted that we were we were really poor. And uh, I know a lot of the analysis after it was, you know, oh, this is, you know, they came up to play this way. I, I don't think there was anything structurally wrong with the way they set up. It was more a case that they didn't seem to be to be prepared um, for how they were going to really play through that midfield because they just couldn't they couldn't get out and that what that meant was that there was this wave after wave of attack the the momentum from Liverpool built up and they couldn't really disrupt it and they kind of got caught within two minds of whether to, to play out from the back or whether to go long and Geronimo really the goalkeeper who is a really unusual um, character in the sense that he was the guy last year who started every game in the Europa League but was virtually non-existent in La Liga he was the second choice goalkeeper yet what seems to have happened this season is that Emery's been like no you're, you're my number one now after what you did in Europe and he's been ever present this campaign and every time I see him I'm like he is he's a sort of fundamental part of this really well-organized structural team yeah, he seems very erratic. He, mm. And Mark actually said after the game, it was like his his sort of instability kind of spread throughout the entire Villarreal team last night. And I, I, I kind of agree with that analysis because he was he was punching at everything. He wasn't really catching the ball when it was coming in a lot. I know Liverpool obviously crossed into the box a lot and he didn't seem to command his area very well. He didn't seem to be the right choice for that particular matchup because Sergio Asenjo is the... Was, has been the sort of long-term number one of Villarreal and he's very highly rated and he would probably have been a more sort of calm and present and then really, really sort of he's played because he can play out from the back he's very good with the ball at his feet and distribution but that was so nullified by Liverpool during that game that you kind of think 
maybe maybe it would have been better switching it up last night. Um, but yeah, Villarreal's got a lot of work to do for this second mm. leg. I, I I can't see them scoring three goals, but they have Gerard Moreno back. They they have to play with more aggression and more intensity. Obviously, they have the home fans. They've got a tighter pitch. There's, listen, there's a lot of variables, but but it's but it's hard to see at this point. Yeah, I mean, I remember the goalkeeper in the Europa League semi last season as well against Arsenal, and he looked really shaky, thinking like this, he's definitely there to be got at, and I think he was yesterday as well. But I would just say, I mean, the trying to get out. I mean, Fabinho is just so unbelievably good. I mean, he went on this sort of mission in the second half when Villarreal were trying to get forward. He was just winning the ball back pretty much every time. And he does that quite often. I think he's one of one of the, you know, the best central midfielders, it's probably not a big claim, one of the best central midfielders in Europe, certainly, and that we've seen in the Premier League for a long time. I mean, he he's absolutely phenomenal what he does. And I was thinking that him and Bakayoko were in that great Monaco team that got dismembered when they had a great run in the Champions League in 2017. And obviously, Bakayoko's influence in the Premier League has been... Uh, pretty negligible but at the time I remember they both seemed like great signings but Fabinho just just I was open-mouthed yesterday seeing him just winning the ball back every time it was incredible and it gave Liverpool I mean as Colin was saying it was just wave after wave of attack but there was that shot um in the second half from Van Dijk where he absolutely caught it and you know he had the license to do that because as you said Charlie Fabinho was just uh mopping up endlessly. Um, I also think that Sadio Mane being switched to centre-forward the last few weeks has been quite a subtle but really effective mm. change for Liverpool because he kind of, he, compared to playing um, Firmino there or, or Jota, he, he's quite, he, he sort of drifts around, He's you know he pulls defend, defenders around a lot more and I think that has opened up a bit more space for the likes of Luis Diaz and, and Salah as well. So um, it's no surprise, I think, to see Salah's assist numbers going up since Mane was playing centre-forward. Um, as opposed to his goals, maybe. All right. He scored his 20th goal of the season, Sadio Mane, for the second. The first, uh, a Pervis Estupinian, a deflection off uh, Jordan Henderson's shot. Uh, the other Liverpool player who we should certainly mention, Thiago Alcantara, who for a th- fourth or fifth game in a row posted kind of ridiculously high passing percentage, to put it in perspective, even better than Villarreal's goalkeeper's uh, passing percentage in that first <laughs> half, which was... We're not allowed to talk about it, though, according to our friend Rory Smith. Oh, so, yeah? Uh, yeah. Why he's, is that? Uh, he's in an article today saying that, you know, Thiago's too good a player, too subtle a player to just just praise using using raw numbers, which is a, which is a fair point. But they are right. pretty impressive numbers, to be fair. So. I mean, I, I, I find with him, I, I, before he came to the Premier League, I always thought him and Verratti were the kind of players who just don't get in the Premier League. And I, and I, I, I lamented that because whenever I'd get to watch them in the Champions League, I just think these guys are just, they're, they're, they're just different species of player. And so to have Thiago, and obviously this was a Champions League game, but to get to see him more regularly, mm. I just find those players absolutely mesmerising and magnetic. And, and maybe that's just because growing up in England, they, they have sort of remained the one and, and we're getting towards producing that kind of player, but they just feel still so exciting and exotic and he's just an absolute joy. Who would be your homegrown equivalent then if we're getting close to producing a, a Thiago or a Verratti? <sighs> Someone, I mean, I guess, would Jude Bellingham? He's not really that kind of player, but just, just as a central midfielder who can move the team forward, having seen, you know, having seen the way like Modric decimated us in 2018... 
I mean, he's not playing there at the moment at all, but Phil Foden has that kind of like ability to shift on both feet and pass, you know, almost see like four or five passing options before he gets the ball. So, um, but yeah, I think it is something that's now coached into into young players. You know, I, you, you don't hear, if you watch kids football now, you don't hear um, get rid, which I definitely heard quite a lot when I was a kid. So, mm, And that's certainly nothing to do with you, Duncan, but about a generational shift in footballing philosophy. Very good. Liverpool then, who haven't been beaten by a two-goal margin all season, would need that to happen away at the Theramica next Tuesday. But, you know, football, it could happen. Before those games come around, of course, Liverpool and Man City have that title race to get back to. Only one point between them. This weekend, Liverpool will be at Newcastle, while Man City face Leeds, who they beat... 7-0, 7-0 in the reverse fixture in December back at the Etihad. As for Newcastle and Liverpool, if the Premier League began on the 1st of January, this would be a battle of the top two. Boom. This is this is probably Liverpool's toughest remaining match, I think. And not, not just in terms of the Newcastle's form and, and, and everything to do with that, but the timing of it as well. This is the... This is the infamous mm. Saturday lunchtime kickoff, and uh, haven't played on a Wednesday night, so it does set up another Jurgen Klopp against Des Kelly uh, showdown <laughs> um, potentially. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is this is this is a really a really tough assignment, and yeah, that that timing does does I think play into that. Newcastle are just on such a a, a roll of results, and they're, they're well rested. They've had time to prepare for this. It, it's definitely a a really really tricky game, and there's a. I think there's definitely the potential for Liverpool dropping points here if they are going to, and they're running this. This this is the one that stands out. I mean, they tried to get this fixture moved, didn't they, to a later time slot? Which next season haven't the TV company said they won't have a twelve thirty kickoff involving teams that that played on Wednesday in Europe? So there is a ready-made excuse there if it if it does go wrong. And and yeah, like Sakeran, I think you, I mean Newcastle are in the top half of the table. Like that seems extraordinary. They they spent 150 days in the relegation zone this season, and now they're in the top half. It really has been, and you know, obviously they have been able to bring in some players in January, but I think it is a real testament to what Eddie Howe has done. You know, that is is a very impressive um, turnaround. Well, we 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 talked about was he in with a shout for manager of the year, and actually, if Klopp was to take the title, along with any number of uh, any any multiple of other honours uh, this season. He's probably the, the favourite. But uh, Eddie Howe's job, which sparked certainly some discussion on the social media, uh, was something we were hailing on Monday. The fact that Newcastle are likely to play a more open and attacking brand of football than Liverpool's last two opponents, will that be a help or a hindrance, do you think? A hindrance, I think. Because yeah? I, I, I think Liverpool might... I mean, I they, they they have the patience to break down those deep defences. I And you look, you look at those, those games against Benfica, who did sort of go for Liverpool a bit you know they, they played that open expansive football and they scored four goals over the two legs and they had a couple very close real offside a couple of great saves by Allison. and I know there was a few changes from that Liverpool team but I, I kind of think there is a little bit more of a vulnerability if you do attack them and you do mm. take risks um, so it'll be interesting yeah, I mean, if Newcastle go for that they play that high line and I fast forwarding a week but I've been intrigued for a while that's that Liverpool Spurs game just to see how that high risk strategy pays off when you've got someone like Kane who can drop in deep and Son who can run in behind because uh, you know they, they drew two all in that reverse fixture admittedly there were COVID concerns but for uh, for both teams but 
Yeah, I, I mean, that, that is a potential vulnerability for Liverpool. But I do wonder as well with this game, given the tight turnaround, how many changes they'll make. Mm. Um, but they are in a position where they have incredible depth. I mean, obviously up front has been well documented, but also, you know, yesterday someone like Cater comes on. They have a lot of players who... Also, most of their players have been there so long, they know how the system works, they can slot in fairly seamlessly. So I think they can make a few changes without it massively affecting their quality. What, what about Man City and their trip to Ellen Road, where Leeds are battling effectively for survival? They are five points off the drop, but Everton, who are just inside the bottom three, have a game in hand on them. Everton will be hosting Chelsea at home, a game we'll come on to shortly. Burnley, meantime who are just behind Leeds, are at Watford. So we'll be optimistic of their chances there. Any chance of an upset at Elland Road? Um, again, I know I just said it for Newcastle-Liverpool, but Leeds are unbeaten in five matches. And I know it's Jesse March and not Bielsa, but Leeds took four points off City last season. Uh, they have a lot of players who've been sort of long-term absentees who are now back in the team. And again, they've sort of got that defensive structure in place now. Like they're massive underdogs, but this is again it's a it's a banana skin after City have had such a drain in midweek match and mm. maybe have one eye on the midweek to come. It, it, it's another it's a it's a huge challenge, especially that, that Elland Road atmosphere. It could be could be a tricky environment to to play in. It leads to hunting Premier League history as well in this game. Two bookings means they set a new record for most yellows in a in a single season. So it feels pretty inevitable that might happen this weekend. All right. That's Saturday tea time, that fixture. Excellent. We'll, we'll talk about uh, the relegation battle further very, very shortly on the Totally Football Show. Keep listening for Duncan Alexander versus Julien Laurent in the Inter-Totally Cup, sponsored by Paddy Power. And it's pre-recorded. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which is excellent news for Everton fans when they make their Lampardian transition from serious to funny to serious once again. Pre-match bet builders only get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Maximum free bet is £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Online exclusives and T's and C's apply. 28th of April today for us, listener. It's the anniversary, of course, of the saddest Premier League game ever. 28th of April 2013, it was Reading against QPR. Both sides knew that whoever didn't win would go down. The result, a nil-nil draw, so they both did. Crikey. (laughs) (laughs) It was a QPR squad containing quite a few big... I mean, there was Julio Cesar, Champions League winner in there, Jose Bozingwa, Park Ji-sung, Jibro Sisse. Both teams rather gave up. It was kind of... The football equivalent of them booking a quick trip to the, that mountaintop clinic in Switzerland. They just they just wanted it over. And at the end... Uh, El Derby de Dignitas. Yeah, sort of, yeah. Harry Redknapp at the end, making a joke, as referenced in his autobiography, 
uh, with his opposite number, Nigel Adkins. As I held out my hand, I tried to lighten the moment for both of us. Don't worry, Nigel, I said. It'll never replace football. Yeah, anyway, well, this weekend could see another Premier League team doomed to the drop, and that's Norwich, which would come if it did, against their manager's former side. Dean Smith taking the Canaries back to Aston Villa from whence he came, where defeat plus a victory for Burnley in their game with Watford would seal the Canaries' fate. Crikey. Mm. It's a lot of that kind of thing this weekend because you also got Frank Lampard and Everton battling for survival against Frank Lampard's former team, Chelsea, for whom he is still the all-time top scorer. That's a hard one to call that game. Which one? The um, Everton-Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, just because you get talking about tight turnarounds, Chelsea play this evening as you're listening at United, and then that's two o'clock on Sunday, and, and they've looked pretty unconvincing, Chelsea. Um, but then obviously, you know, Everton <laughs> haven't exactly been in sparkling form themselves. Although, they did beat United at home, didn't they? Chelsea have actually lost on their last three trips to Everton in total, two of those with Frank as manager. Uh, Everton's home record, though, is significantly better than their away record. Um, I think every record in the world is better than Everton's away record. They've taken 10 points from six games under Lampard at Goodison. Everton going for four home wins in a row against Chelsea for the first time since the Heimlich manoeuvre was invented. When was that? <laughs> uh, 1974. That's quite late, that's... I thought. Yeah, yeah, that is late. That's so, also surprising because I feel like there was a period where Stephen Naismith used to score against Everton and I thought you were home say wins people for about seven years running. Ob- obstructions from windpipes. So, I mean, people surely have been doing that before. What was yeah, his I name? Think... Was it Joseph Heim- Heimlich? Or... Yeah, Keith, let's call him Keith. Keith Heimlich. He, um, he just branded it up, didn't he? I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure someone had, had done it before. but Right. Um, are you? Yeah. But sorry, because you, you 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 cite that with reference to a historical date in in football. Yeah, yeah. So is it seventy four that the Heimlich manoeuvre was first unveiled? It was. Yeah, I, I looked unveiled. It up. <laughs> yeah, like a new sign. Press conference. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's there holding up a windpipe or something. Yeah, it's on Piers and Club. Where did it happen? Where was the first one? <laughs> Club reveal new manoeuvre. <laughs> um, where is it? It was definitely 1974, but 1973 was the last time Everton won, won four last games some, in a row. Last time someone choked on a fishbone. Yeah. yeah. And also, Lampard is the, f- the first Everton manager to lose eight of his first 12 league games uh-huh. since Cliff Britton back in 1948, which I thought would be a good name for Lampard in a fictional drama about Frank Lampard. <laughs> I mean, if it's a fictional drama but about Frank Lampard, wouldn't he just be Frank Lampard? No, you, one of those where you have to sort of change the name, but you can sort of tell who it's based on. So. The sort of Steve Barnes of... Uh... Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right. I have a lot of questions, but very few of them actually relate to that game, which I agree with Charlie about. Uh, it's very hard to call and perhaps best left and reviewed afterwards. Uh, would you feel the same about Aston Villa Norwich? Villa, who've only picked up one point from the last five matches, and that was in that goalless draw with Leicester last weekend. I was going to say about about uh, Stephen Gerrard, who mm-hmm. uh, I, I was on the pod whenever he was appointed uh, in early November, and there was uh, a lot of talk about how this was a was it was a risk for Villa, and, and I, I remember saying it was actually this this was actually Gerrard maybe maybe slightly prematurely going into a, a job of in the Premier League because the the rewards of managing this Aston Villa side who have had a lot of investment but 
there's still so many question marks about a lot of areas within that squad for me. It almost seems like Gerard was almost under a bit of a lose-lose situation because he was in such a stable environment at Rangers whereby he could feasibly have stayed for another couple of years, won more trophies. Obviously, they've had the European run this year. Whereas Villa seem still to be quite far away, even from challenging for those for those European places. And I know they're obviously in a very bad run of form at the minute, and it's easy to say this with the benefit of hindsight, but you kind of think, how, how is he going to change that around? Because they've, they've, they've invested well in the January transfer window, and they've, they've brought players in that he wanted to bring in. Obviously, Coutinho was, a, was the big-name arrival, and kind of think, is that going to be something that's made permanent this summer? Maybe he's a bit hit and miss, and you just sort of think, what are Aston Villa going to do going forward? Because they've invested a lot of money, and they, are, they haven't really advanced at all. Mm. Meantime, I've, I've been looking up the Heimlich manoeuvre. Uh, it comes from a US doctor, Henry Heimlich. It's a technique of abdominal thrust for stopping choking. Basically, you stand behind the person, place one foot slightly in front of the other for balance. Make a fist with one hand. Everyone do this. You grab the fist with the other hand. Uh, this is around their chest, I imagine, and perform six and ten abdominal thrusts until the blockage is dislodged. He first described his technique in 1974. There you go, Dr. Henry Heimlich, who left us, sadly, in December 2016. Choked to death. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> Back to this weekend. The only man who could have saved him was, was himself. <laughs> was himself. OK, uh, but, um, but yes, anyway, so we were discussing uh, which of the teams down the bottom might uh, choke. And uh, yeah, Duncan, you made an outlandish prediction for who was going mm. down a few months ago. You were just causing controversy, I know, but you said that none of the the then bottom three, Burnley, Watford, and Norwich, would drop. But I, th- I think you had what was it? Leeds, Everton, and Brentford going down. Was it? You don't remember because you were just yeah, saying stuff. For no, a fact. I wasn't just saying stuff. At the time, all three were showing signs of of life. All right, this um, was probably before Ericsson arrived at Brentford. Yeah, it was. But yeah. the other two might prove correct. Although Watford staying up, like Watford, just to kind of remind everyone of the standings, so Everton, Watford and Norwich are in the bottom three. Burnley just outside it. Watford are fully nine points behind Burnley, but they are facing the Clarets this weekend. Ooh. Of course, they are the team that has lost 10 home games in a row and they are welcoming Burnley to Vicarage Road. So, hmm. They're doomed, surely, Watford. I think so, yeah. Okay. I mean, they'd have to win. I mean, obviously, they've got Hodgson, and I think Fulham were in pretty much his position when he was there, and they pretty much did win sort of four of the last five to stay up. But it, it would essentially take five wins, I think, which isn't very likely. But I'm pretty bullish on, on Burnley, as it's So Burnley staying up, yes. And, and, and Leeds? Leeds is, I mean, it's, as Colin said earlier, they're unbeaten in five. They've won three and drawn two of the last five games. You, you look at the league table, you think without that run of form, they would also be pretty much dead and buried now. So, mm. yeah, I mean, it feels like if Burnley can beat Watford, it, it almost feels like it is between Leeds and Everton then. Right. Um, yeah. Rather than Everton and Burnley? I think so. Really? Burn, okay. Burnley have got good wow. fixtures. Yeah, mm. there's a there's a quirk of the fixture list as well that Burnley still haven't played Aston Villa this season, so they have to play them twice in May. I'm not sure if that's ever happened before. With a- wow, that's well, it's funny you say it, cause that. That must be the latest because I was thinking that recently with I think it was Liverpool and Villa. I think that wasn't was it the, the Leicester they hadn't played each other until 
sorry, Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I was thinking that must be the latest. But yeah, there can't have been. Even in the 2020 season, I think everyone had played each other before the March lockdown. I would be wary of like pre, pre Second World War, there was the fixture list, but it wasn't computer compiled and it was a bit random at some times. Right. But yeah, it does, it does seem rare. Mm. All right. Well, some, some pretty key matches coming up uh, this weekend, and it would particularly that Everton Chelsea game as the Blues try and uh, drag themselves out of the drop zone. Oh, sorry to bring that term up. <laughs> Must bring a, it's triggering. a, a shudder. Mm. Anyway, all right. Uh, very good. Uh, still to come today on the Totally Football Show, we're going to look at the top four race. And, of course, there's that uh, third-fourth playoff. Very Reading QPR vibe to that one as Duncan takes on Julian Laurence. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Totally Football Show will be live at the Glee Club in Birmingham on Tuesday the 10th of May. That's coming up quite soon. On stage, myself, producer Charlie, Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox and Julian Laurence. Go to glee.co.uk if you're thinking... I'm enjoying this chat. I want to see four men perform it for me live on stage. <laughs> I mean, Excellent. if the third fourth playoff goes badly, yep. then I might not accept being on the same stage as, as Jules. Mm. But Crikey, yeah, that doesn't seem like you, Duncan. Well, I've changed. Of all the possible opponents, he is the most likely, I would say, to provoke that reaction from someone. Mm. Julianne. Mm. Mm. I should also mention the Totally Football League show, which is out on Thursday, that's today for us, with Matt Davis-Adams looking ahead to the final weekend of the regular season already in League One. Duncan, it's a big weekend, isn't it, for Wickham Wanderers? It is. The situation at the top is... So none of the automatic slots have been decided, none of the playoff places have, um, and even the relegation is, is still pretty wide open. So... Yeah, basically Wickham in 7th on 80, Plymouth in 6th on 80, Sunderland in 5th on 81, and Sheffield Wednesday in 4th on 82. So it's basically three of those teams out of four will get a slot. And Wickham can lose and get in the playoffs and win and not get in the playoffs. It's that sort of, uh, it's that sort of set-up. So, um, wow. yeah, 12.30, all the games kick off, um, and I will be <clears throat> feeling quite tense. Right, it's a tough one to make sense of, but the ideal preparation is to listen to the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams and guest this week, Wickham manager Gareth Ainsworth. Ooh. Should be concentrating on the game, frankly, but OK, mm. fair enough. <laughs> Just to put it into perspective, actually, it, Chesterfield once got into the League One playoffs with 69 points. There's going to be a team, possibly a team with 83 that misses out this season. Madness. So. All right. Anyway, back to the Premier League, and there's a red-hot top four race for us to enjoy. Situation there. Arsenal two points clear now of Spurs with five games to go for those two sides. Manchester United are four points behind Tottenham with only four games left to play. In fact, Man United's game this weekend, which is on Monday night at home to Brentford, 
will actually be their final home game of the season already. So they'll play their final home game before Burnley and Villa have even faced each other once. That's madness. That's Man United-Brentford on Monday. Looking forward to the lap of honour there at Old Trafford. <laughs> let's, let's think about Spurs and the Gunners, though. They're both taking on teams who are in the middle of those European semi-finals that we've been enjoying so much. Arsenal will be at West Ham, who have Eintracht Frankfurt on Thursday night, while Spurs will welcome Leicester. Leicester, who are up against Roma in the uh, Europa Conference League semis. OK, who's, who's got the easier time of it in the Premier League games at the weekend? Mm, it slightly depends if West Ham, if any of their centre-backs become available... Um, it, Zuma, I think, may have a chance, but otherwise they'll be missing four with with Dawson getting uh, sent off last weekend, which obviously would would be quite a leg up. You would have thought, though. Obviously, the rest of their team is still very good. I, I guess as well, it depends a little bit on how those semi-finals play out um, and and how those two teams are able to recover. I mean, West Ham have a couple of hours more recovery time. I mean, you'd think Leicester at home, mid-table. Nothing in theory to play for, but I think that that can be overstated a bit. I mean, Brighton, both of these teams, Arsenal and Spurs, lost at home to Brighton, and everyone mm. looking at the fixtures before was saying, okay, well, Brighton, nothing to play for, out form on the beach, home bankers, and they lost them both. So that doesn't always play out, but um, I think at home as well, you it, it can be harder if you do have tired legs. When you're away, whereas if you're at home, it's a London mm. derby, you'd think maybe the adrenaline, the home support will get West Ham sufficiently up for that game. So I think Leicester at home is the easier fixture. But, you know, we've met the fixtures have gone completely against how we've expected, certainly right. for Arsenal uh, in the last few weeks. Yeah, well, absolutely. You're back to back wins for Arsenal against Man United and Chelsea after previously losing three in a row. West Ham have only taken four points from their last five in the Premier League and do look to have their. Their attention's on the Europa League and that paucity of centre-backs, which you mentioned, Charlie. Spurs, their big paucity is shots on target in the last two games. None across 180 minutes of Premier League football. What's, yeah. what's going on there? And is Antonio Conte, any news on that Antonio Conte to PSG business? Um, no, nothing since early in the week and his um, camp have denied the links. I, I think what happened was... The Pochettino, Pochettino is almost certainly going to leave at the end of the season. That got accelerated, um, or at least it was a little bit premature how imminent that was going to be. Once he does go, then Conte will be one of their big targets. I mean, there are only mm. so many managers that PSG can appoint. Uh, he is in that bracket. I think Zidane would probably be their first choice, but he may wait until the end of the World Cup to take the France job. Um, but he'll definitely be in consideration, and Conte's given very little sense that he's at Spurs for the long haul. His contract expires at the end of next season and he's continually downplayed any sense of project or anything like that. He's kind of like, let's talk at the end of the season. So I think that that one will just rumble on. But for this game, yeah, the, the shot on target drought. I mean, they had one earlier in the season that was 272 mm. minutes. So they're still still a way off that. But um, Why is it happening? I mean, it's... it's I do think partly the last two matchups are very bad for them. They, they, they're not good against well-organised low-block defences. And it would be unfair to characterise Brighton and Brentford as just coming and parking the bus. They absolutely didn't do that. But they're very well-organised. They close the spaces really well, which is a phrase Conte used about 15 times after the 
Brighton game. Um, whereas I think Leicester will be a much better matchup. They will. They 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 just can't do that in quite the same way. They they play a bit more expansively. Losing Matt Doherty as well, which obviously would have seemed like a ludicrous thing to say uh, a few weeks, months ago. But the drop-off, certainly in what they can offer in an attacking sense with Emerson Royale, is, is huge. And both Regulon and Sessignon have been out, just coming back. They're not particularly informed. So obviously that system relies so much on the wing-backs. And they're just not getting a huge amount of attacking thrust from them. And then in midfield, Hoybier and Bentoncourt are very good in lots of ways, but they can be sort of stifled, I suppose. I mean, Brighton did that incredibly well. Basuma was superb against them. And then Ericsson last week, you know, very much had the measure of them. So you stop the route from there or from the wide players to the front three and, and teams are, you know, everyone is sitting a player on Harry Kane. Some Sometimes he's just too good, but... That, you know, that, that term found out, I think, is overstating it. And I do think every match is different. But I think they do just struggle against those uh, well-organised defences. I think they'll just be hoping that Leicester, A, won't offer that solidity and maybe a little bit fatigued and lose motivation if Spurs can get at them quickly and get a lead early. And just just a, just a quick point on the uh, Antonio Conte stuff. Um, obviously, Charlie's mentioned it. It's not, it's not a live issue at the moment. But I wonder from a player's point of view at Spurs that... Even even if that doesn't come to fruition, there there is very little sense that Conte is is about for the long haul. You know, we we've seen that from his post match interviews and where he hasn't been entirely happy. He's questioned his own future and and, and everything else. And you sort of think that what he what he does um, at, at clubs is, is short term anyway. But he's he's brought in such mass changes into into that side in terms of how they're they're set up to play and, and with the wing backs and everything else. And obviously PSG almost have a perfect squad in, in that sense in terms of how they're already structured and everything else. But you kind of think whenever results do start to go slightly slightly wrong or there is a bit of an issue, that can maybe manifest itself whenever whenever there's a few doubts within the players' heads of, of who is going to be our manager next season and what how much are we going to commit to this style of playing. Because it is, it is an intense way of playing and you really do need to be 100% all in for it. And I know it's not the same, but you look at Man United and the, the, the players that are you know, with, with the manager and their relationship completely breaking down in that sense. Obviously, this is entirely different, but you wonder, is that something that has potentially crept in? And especially with this top four race being so close that those those recent results could potentially be, be definitive at the end of the season for that. And you just wonder how, how committed are the players going to be to a manager who they might not sense has the same, has the same sort of long-term, long-term vision. Mm. All right. Well, Spurs up against Leicester. That's two o'clock on Sunday, and that's followed at 4.30 by Arsenal's trip to the London Stadium. Well, Charlie, we should get a quick word for Oliver Skip, mm. who won't be featuring for the foreseeable future for Spurs or anybody. Yeah, I mean, he, this has been, I think people for a little while have been, the sense has been he, he isn't, certainly that was my information, that he wouldn't probably play again this season. So he's sensible. He's having an operation and, you know, getting ready for next season. It's a shame for him because he was having such a good season, such a breakthrough year. Um, and I think had he kept playing, there would have been whispers of can he force his way into the England team. He was playing that well, or at the England squad rather. But yeah, so hopefully this will sort out the problem, which has been ongoing since the end of January. And he's a big loss because they do, they lack bodies in central midfield and they lack creativity. And he's... You know, he's he's not a kind of um, 
overtly creative player, but he can move the ball forward. He does that better than some of their other players there. So he has been a really big miss for them. Mm. Uh, well, best wishes him for a full recovery. Uh, two mid-table clashes coming up on Saturday at three o'clock. Just to mention Wolves against Brighton and Saints, who similarly are expecting to see their defender Tino Livramento out until at least 2023. He's done his ACL. Uh, they are at home to Crystal Palace. Right. Just on quick one on Wolves Brighton. Oh yeah. Um, it's the longest name Classico in top flight history, Wolverhampton Wanderers against Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, wow. 43 characters. And people might remember in 2019-20, one of the games saw 43 touches in the opposition box in total, which was good. And then the reverse fixture saw Wolves have a possession of 43%. So look out for the number 43 in that game. Duncan, uh, I'm sure it's within your reach to tell us what is the longest name fixture in all of the football league um it might be that one to be honest really yeah okay great there you go anyway monday we'll be reviewing all the premier league action today on the totally football show we're going to finish off next with into totally This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Into Totally, final awaits. Charlie, how are you feeling about that final with Daniel? Yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to it. It's quite a long wait. It's a bit like that. It is a long wait. The semi-final and final of the Champions League where... We still don't know don't when it's going to happen, to be well, honest. Well, like the Spurs-Liverpool Champions League final. Remember, there was a really big gap, wasn't there? That's exactly what I was... That's the one I was thinking of, yeah. Mm. That sort of three and a half long wait. Or the wait for the North London Derby to be rescheduled this season. Um, but, you know, the TV companies hold so much sway, I suppose. Similarly here. Exactly. Yeah. Travelling fans, I feel bad for <laughs> In the meantime, we'll discover today who will take the other podium place with all the rich sponsorship and endorsement opportunities that brings. It's the intertotally third-fourth playoff. Let's meet our contestants. Up first is the chief data editor for Shadowy Stats Syndicate Opta and the provider of luxury sports content since before you were in skinny jeans. He is the oily sailor. He is Duncan Alexander. Duncan Alexander. It's the match nobody wants to take part in, let alone listen to. But but here we are. It's, it is what it is, isn't it? It's a fair place playoff. It's, you know, people have... Since the Bronze Age, people have liked the colour bronze, so right. we're going for third place. And you know, I've brought out my Tony Dorigos. Um, we'll see how it goes. Italian ninety reference, tick. Excellent. With no further ado, then, let's go straight to meet the man who's battling you for that prized bronze medal. If you really wanna fire to your five and your back against the wall, and a bunch of niggas need you to go away, still going bad on them anyway. 
And his opponent, he is quite simply the dirtiest player in the game. It's the Paris Metro riding, trash talking, mind gaming, PSG supporting son of a gun, Julien Laurent. Damn. If you weren't fired up for this one already, Jules, those words surely yeah, will have your I mean, blood I don't know, pumping. I don't know where that comes from. Really, I've got no idea. Um, but previous previous games, Dan I imagine. That, I don't know. You see, you see by yourself. I'm surprised mm. to see Duncan here. He must have been really disappointed about that that semi-final. Um, well, it's these rudimentary French mind games. I can no, really no, no. See. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying. I was surprised to see you out and to see you here. To be fair, but uh, yeah, because yeah. Jules, you've been in the third, fourth playoff before, victorious. Mm, that's right. Last that's year, whereas. Duncan's not been in this kind of high-pressure environment before. I wonder I wonder how much difference that'll make. Big one, big one. Possibly. Possibly. All right, well, <laughs> as before in the Intertotally, uh, the winner of today's round will be receiving, along with that bronze medal, £10, which Paddy Power will place on the bed of your choice with the winnings going to the charity of your choice. Duncan, what will your charity be? Uh, the charity is the Trussell Trust. And the bed? The bet is for Burton Albion to beat Wickham on Saturday, which is basically just covering my disappointment if it happens, because obviously we, we kind of need to win to get in the playoffs. So, mm. you know. As mentioned, indeed. All right, Jules, how about you, your wager and charity? So my charity is Dementia UK, and I will place the bet on the PSG Lyon semi-final second leg of the Women's Champions League, uh, both teams to score and PSG to win. Really? And go through? And go through, yeah. Woof. But I can can I add that to the bet? Yeah. I mean, PSG sure. can go through knockout ties. Is that is that right? Oh, <laughs> as much as Wickham can reach the playoffs. Yeah, fair, fair. Mm. All right. Well, gentlemen, gentlemen, let's get this <laughs> bout underway. Third place playoff. Duncan, you're up first. Here comes question one. Duncan, a question about assists. Who crossed the ball for Wayne Rooney's famous bicycle kick goal against Manchester City in 2011? That is... Everyone focuses on the goal, don't they? The old uh, finish with the shin rather than the... Uh, is it mm. uh, Nanny? It is Nanny. It is Nanny. Very nice indeed, Duncan. Question two. Who did Manchester United draw 4-4 with in the 2012 run-in, helping Manchester City to win the title? Um, Everton. Correct. Two for two. Question three. Who's the only Kenyan to have played in the Premier League? Would you pretend you don't know the answer? Well, you surely, that's one of your, like... Victor Wanyama. Oh, my God, you see... Oh, he's playing this game so well. It's correct. Someone's playing games. How many how many times do you think he's tweeted? There's one Kenyan player who's ever played. I tell you game. what, why don't you look it up? Because <laughs> it's zero. <laughs> well, I can tell you how many times Duncan's answered with the correct response, and it's three for three so far. Here comes question four of seven. Duncan, whose playing career is this? Bayern Munich, Newcastle, Liverpool, Bolton. Manchester City, MK Dons. Um, Diddy Haman. Is correct. 
Question five. Who is now the longest-serving manager in the Premier League? Jurgen Klopp. Um, is this the Opta quiz or something? Is it like? Is it? Is it really well, is like? It, is it questions about football? Yeah, I think it is, George. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> Shall I stay or is it? Someone sounds a bit Le Ratel, as they say in the continent. Le Ratle. Do stay, George. Do stay. Okay, okay fine. Mm. I'm just. I'm just. Once again, my opponent has very easy questions, so you know. Well, maybe making them look easy as we ask question six. Which La Liga team plays their home games at the Anoeta? What? Sociedad. Is correct. He's such a tease. No, and I did have to think about it. Away and just went, oh. No, I didn't. Jules, the questions are the same for everybody. Duncan, question seven. What is your favourite colour? <laughs> This is I'm going. Okay, here's another one then. Question seven. Barcelona signed three players, whether permanently or on loan, from the Premier League this January. Can you name them? Oh, God. Uh, Bamiyang. Looking for two more. Adama Traore. Adama Traore. Jules, quiet. Oh, my God. Sasufi. Um, <laughs> and... One more. Who's the other one? Uh, can't think. Um, yeah, you can. All right. Um, no, I can't nope. think. No. Ferran Torres. Oh yeah. Ferran yeah. Torres. Oof. 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 Left the door ajar. A jar. slip. Yeah, that could prove so <laughs> very point. very costly. I still think you knew. I still think mm. you knew the Ferran Torres answer. All right. Do now. We're like Mar is bearing down on goal. Yeah. Will you come to rue that missed opportunity as we ask Julien Laurent his seven questions? Six, the total to match or beat, Jules. Here comes question one. A question about assists. Who crossed the ball for Zinedine Zidane's volley in the 2002 Champions League final against Bayer Leverkusen? I'm going to do like Duncan. You focus on the goal scorer, don't you? Not really the <laughs> the crosser, uh, <laughs> Roberto Carlos. Very good, Jules. <laughs> Very good. He's on the board. Question two: Which was the last Champions League final to end 0-0? Hang on. Three is correct. Oh, I, I think like I think the listener probably has things to do. So if you could just skip the. <laughs> I'm even quicker than I'm Alexander. Saying, I'm saying okay. nothing. All right then. Question three. Good start so far, Jules. Question three. Who was the last English player to set the world transfer record? Rio Ferdinand? No, it was Alan Shearer. Alan Shearer. Can't afford any more mistakes, He's Jules. a day day younger than PSG, isn't he? Just he is. No, older, no? Is he mm. older? It's one or the other. Yeah, one or the other. <laughs> mm. Question four. Whose playing career path is this? Feyenoord, Rangers, 
Arsenal, Barcelona, Feyenoord. Giovanni van Bronckhorst. Is correct, George. Is correct. Question five. Which manager has taken charge of the most Premier League clubs? Neil Warnock. I'm afraid not. I'm afraid no, not. I've got no idea. Really? No. Duncan, which manager has taken charge I of the most Premier question, League clubs? So I sent that question. He wrote the question. It's about football, yeah. It's about football. It's yeah. uh, Grande Sam, isn't it? That is correct. That is correct. It is Big Sam Allardyce with a whopping eight clubs uh, so far. All right, Jules. Well, just to see how you would have done on the last two questions, would you like? Have I lost? Have I lost? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You can't match Duncan's. Well but, done, uh, Duncan. Yeah. Would you like to hear the last two questions? Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Go on. Yeah. Okay. Question six: Which former Premier League and Championship manager has recently been appointed as a head coach of Granada in Spain? Caranca. Is correct. And finally, before their semi-final against Liverpool, Villarreal faced three previous Champions League winners in this season's competition. Can you name them? Uh, yeah, Manchester United, Juventus, Bayern Munich. Bingo. Oh, you were so close, Jules. What did I get wrong again? You got Sam Allardyce being the yeah, manager with no, the I most Premier League clubs. Him. And mm. then what's the other one? The other one was Alan Shearer's world transfer record. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't yeah. know either. Yeah, but you came close. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it was a gripping encounter. A lot of people are saying fourth is cooler than, than third these days. So Now he's patronising I already finished fourth. I already finished third, you know, in my career. Right. So I can yeah, you got to take them all off. Yeah, right, fine. Exactly. Can I, can I just say congratulations it. to both of you on a terrific contest? Performed in, in the best of competitive I spirits It was well. very like a third-place player. It was, you know, quite... You know, happy-go-lucky, quite yeah. high-scoring. I play my Serbs, to be fair. I play my Serbs. So. Mm. Right. And uh, I, I mean, the final's going to have a lot to live up to, etc. whenever we get around to doing that soon. Anyway, <laughs> lovely stuff. Jules, lovely to speak to you. Catch up with you on Monday. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, then. And congratulations on this extremely magnificent bronze medal, Duncan Alexander. <laughs> Should wear it with pride. Congratulations, Duncan. You're officially the third best quizzer on Team Totally. And if you want a piece of Duncan's action that Burton Albion will beat his beloved Wickham this weekend, it's priced at 3 to 1 on PaddyPower.com or on the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time recording. It's over 18s only, and please gamble responsibly. Wow. That, I mean, that was, as third, fourth playoffs go, that was pretty sensational stuff. And congratulations again, uh, uh, Duncan. Commiserations to, to Jules. Be back next year. We've got to schedule that final in soon, haven't we, Charlie? Yeah, well, look, I'm ready. Anytime, any place. Um, yeah, just let me know. Right, well, it's going to happen, and it's going to happen soon, and it's going to be huge. Look out for news about that in future totallys. For now, I think that's it for today's edition. Many, many thanks to Colin, Duncan, Charlie, producer Charlie, and you, listener. On behalf of us all, we wish you a very happy weekend. And we'll catch up with you on Monday. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. 
The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.